Back to the Forgecast. My name is Neil Sögren. I'm Sam Towns. And I'm Derek Milton. All right, so before we move on with the episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Gamerco Artisan Supplies, the top place for Aussie blacksmiths and bladesmiths to get their steels, scales, forge kits, and burners. Visit their website at artisansupplies.com.au and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. So, how was your week, week Sam? Oh, yeah, my week was uh, pretty busy. I'm preparing for the uh, medieval event, which will have been on last weekend when this episode comes out. Um, But I've been making a whole bunch of hammers and um, handling them, putting a lot of time in uh, in the forge. Uh, I also spent today forging a couple of uh, blacksmith's knives, Celtic blacksmith's knives, uh, and finishing up those spearheads, um, a spearhead that I forged at the last... Uh, of this medieval reenactment event and um, the spearhead that I forged in my live stream recently. Uh, So I finished those up. Those are going to come with me to the show and just getting all of my gear together. It's been mad packing everything. Um, And yeah, just, just kind of dealing, dealing with uh, dealing with the uh, preparation. So um, yeah, it's been pretty fun, but a lot of work. I also made a, uh, a Viking style nail header on, um, on Tuesday and uploaded the video on Wednesday. Uh, and that was a nightmare of a build. Uh, <laughs> uh, my patrons got to see the behind the scenes of all of the stuff ups I made. Um, <laughs> so they, they had a bit of a laugh at that. So, but, um, yeah, so I made that, that was good. That was based on the Mastermere, um, find the Viking blacksmith tool find that was found in Mastermere mm. in Gotland, Sweden. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it came out really good. I've made a couple of nails since then. I really need a lot of practice, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's harder than you think, actually. It is incredibly fiddly. It's it's just one of those things <laughs> that just takes a bit of practice. But um, how about you, Nils? What have you been up to? Yeah, so... Uh, and I, I have to say, Alex is moving now, so he's going to be away for a couple of episodes. We forgot to say that in the beginning, but we, we said last week, so... Uh, yeah, this week has been uh, very, very stressful. I have had a lot to do on my other work as a music teacher. It's you know, it's the end of the, 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 the what's it called? The, the end semester. Of the semester. Semester. That's what you call it. Semester in Swedish is when you go on vacation. <coughs> but anyways, <laughs> uh, so so I've been working with that a lot. I also got um, so um, I'm fixing a couple of chairs uh, to sit on at my dinner table. So I've been like grinding those with sandpaper and, you know, polishing them up and gluing them together again. They're all really old shares from this part of the country. So they're very, and we had them when I was a child. So it, I have like oh, a, that's cool. a bond yeah. to them. And uh, yeah. now I'm thinking that maybe my children will sit on those like I did. Sure. So that's awesome. Really, really awesome. So it's been a lot of woodwork, to be honest. But oh, anyways, I made a guillotine tool, which really oh, sucked. Yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> You'll love it, though. You'll love it. No, it's no, no. Great. It, it looks great. It broke. It broke. <laughs> it broke. Oh, no. Oh, did it? Yeah, so I need to re-weld it. I mean, my welder is the, the worst welder ever. Never uh, buys yeah, well, stuff. A, a bad craftsman always blames his tools. 
<laughs> no, but I need. I just need to reinforce it with a couple of the blocks of steel, and it will be okay. I think. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, the idea is very is very nice, but yeah, the, the, when, when it looks you, solid. When you make the top block of it, don't make that too large uh, or tall, yeah. because when you hit it a little bit uh, on the side, it will crack the whole thing. Oh yeah, It'll make yeah. it as. Uh, as tiny as you can, short and squat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. that's, that's like when I, if you see the guillotine tools that I sell, um, the the dies don't stick up that too far, especially because when you stick stock in it, especially if you're going to put hammers or something like that in there, yeah. you're going to get the the height of that hammer again out the top of the the tool. So yeah, you need to make sure that you're you're not exactly, too far yeah. up. But yeah, the other thing have, is that I- you can't. You can't be too far down either because you'll end up mushrooming it too much that it won't fit down into the die stock. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll but, crack but it But anyways. Yeah. yeah. You can always make uh, new ones and you can always repair it since it's like junkyard stuff that you put together. But anyway, so uh, I made that and I'll start a new axe and uh, I'm uh, planning to make uh, two more axes for the... Um, for a couple of guys that you guys probably will know who they are, but I can't say yet who they are. <laughs> it's not. I have a feeling I know uh, one of them. Of, yeah, you probably do. Uh, I what, also what got my uh, uh, the the ones that I'm making right now are just my regular, you know, shopping wood axe. Um, and I want to try to make more of those since I really enjoy the process, and you know, I can really see the use of it. Uh, a Viking axe, like a, a bearded axe, which I make a lot of. Are, they are really fun to make, but, you know, they're not really a tool in the same way that a shopping axe is, you know? Right. They are yeah. made as weapons. You can use them for small things, but I wouldn't use them for that since there's so many details in them, and I wouldn't want to ruin that. So, But you could, sure. like, use it to carve, you know, like a little bit of that, but then again, a carving axe is better than a Viking axe, so, in my opinion, but that's just the way I make them. But... Uh, so I started that, and I also got the the touch mark from uh, Yara Metal Arts. Oh yeah, that oh, yeah, was awesome. yeah, Maria Honick. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, Honick. Uh, and uh, I uh, I tried it once. Uh, I I want to try it some more time. So I'm sorry, Maria. You, uh, or Yvonne is her name, right? Is it yeah, Yvonne? Yeah, you're right. I think it's Yvonne Maria or Maria Yvonne. Yeah, I think okay. she's. I think one's her middle name. I'm all, I've always yeah. known her as Maria. Oh, but, um, okay. <laughs> Well, anyways, I'm sorry, but uh, I, I can't give you the full review right now because I've only used it once, and I want to use it a couple of times so I so I know how to use it better before I get a, a full review of it. Yeah. And today, I was going... Uh, on Saturday, I'm going on my first market ever uh, in this really old forge from the 1800s, you know, like super old, cool. with the you know, hand-blow thing you know of letter so, <laughs> yep. so we're gonna demonstrate there making some i don't know hooks or whatever but i was thinking i can maybe make some hooks and bring with me to sell you know and yeah, i cool. was going out to start to forge and continue with my axe as well and my hair dryer broke <laughs> so i had to go to the nearest town which is really far away because i was like i need to do it now i don't have time after the podcast i need to do it now so i had to like stress down and buy two new ones and they were like you need two hair dryers yes i need two of them <laughs> one, one, one for my hair one for my beard, beard. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's basically been uh, my week. What about you, Derek? 
Uh, let's see. Um, I finished up a big order of the split crosses that I do. I do a lot of those <clears throat> split crosses, and um, I finished a big order for a guy and shipped those out. And then uh, last weekend, I helped out with our spring conference for the Mississippi Forge Council. Um, I, I wasn't demonstrating uh, this time. I just was helping out, helping get things together, you know, get uh, get the pavilion all in order for our demonstrator. We had a a woman named Soraya Howarder come out uh, from Texas and do a demo for us. Really, really fantastic uh, blacksmith. Uh, she does a lot of really cool garden sculpture kind of things. And so yeah. helped with that a little bit and then uh, traveled out of town and um, came back and started getting the shop cleaned up and ready to start doing some more blades. I've been, I've been doing a lot of blacksmithing, you know, the last couple of years and, uh, and I've, I've said yes to a few blade projects and I've put, the, I've been putting those off long enough. So I'm, I'm getting ready to start knocking those out. I've got a, a machete to make, um, for a friend. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, uh, raccoon hunting, but here yep, in Mississippi, <laughs> here, here in Mississippi, coon hunting is a thing. And, uh, yep. these guys go out at night and, uh, they are walking through really thick, vegetation and he wants a uh a really massive heavy duty machete and so um i'm gonna make that for him so i've got to make that and then i got to make a couple of uh hunter style blades the small utility knives so that's yeah, cool trying to get my shop out of blacksmith mode and back into bladesmith mode move some tools around you know get get organized a little bit i i know the feeling all too well <laughs> you know so yeah that's been, awesome. that's been my week yeah cool awesome i've had i've had a few so, people uh, mention that uh you know my my channel and my instagram and all that kind of stuff i am sam town's bladesmith but literally the last like three weeks has been nothing but hammers and tongs oh and- yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah if you if you become known if you if you become known as a bladesmith and you go off into blacksmithing prepare for the hate you know, it, it, it's coming. Oh, I've had it. That's all right. I'm headed back to bladesmithing now for a little while. <laughs> Mostly because I ran out of hammer stock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so for those of you who don't know Derek, um, I didn't at first either. I didn't know anyone in the beginning. But uh, uh, I found out Derek on Instagram. Uh, while I was uh, looking around for good blacksmiths, and I, your, I don't know if your picture came up, you know, on the when you search for blacksmithing or whatever. And oh, uh, I hope so. Of, That'd be great. Yeah, I think it was a hammer. If I don't uh, remember it wrong, and I was like, "That's oh, a really yeah. nice hammer." And um, so I, I started following you, and then I was like, "Wait, I know that name from somewhere." Hmm. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait a minute, he was the guy who won Forged in Fire in the season five with the small sword. So, uh, yeah, that's how I got to know you. And uh, so you are a Forged in Fire champion. Yeah, that's How does me. that feel? It feels great. You know, it's, um, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't uh, put just too much stock into that title, you know. Uh, but um, it was really a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm proud to wear the, the moniker Forged in, Fire, uh, Forged in Fire champion. I think it's really cool. It, um it does help with a little bit of, I don't um, notoriety may be the wrong word, but it, it, it has helped to kind of get me out there. 
It's funny yeah. you say if you if you search for me on Instagram, there's another Derek Melton spells his name the exact same way. He lives <laughs> in a different part of the country, but he's a pastor of a church, and he You're also right. makes he also makes knives. And so um, <laughs> it's really it's it can be kind of confusing. And he he sent me a message on Instagram one day. He was like, "Hey," uh, <laughs> he said something like, "Do I need to change my name?" You know, or because I'd been on Forged to Fire, I think he was thinking that. He didn't want to confuse people that were looking for me. I was like, "No, man, you're you're Derek too, so it's all cool." Yeah, but He's but if you want to find Derek, you can. Well. Yeah, right. If you if you want to find Derek, he, he's the one with the flashy logo in red, <laughs> yeah. white. So yeah. uh, you wanna you wanna share with us a little bit about the process and like how 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 did you get to know about it and uh, what what was your mindset before going into the <laughs> The, the TV show, like, what, what happened? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I actually applied for, uh, to go on the show in season two, or maybe it was three. I think it was, um, anyway, it was, it was a little over two years ago. I applied and uh, went all the way through the same process. You know, when, when you apply, you send an email in, they, uh, they reply back and they ask you a bunch of questions that you fill out a big questionnaire and you send in pictures and then you do a Skype interview and, and you, you go through all this stuff. And, um, and so I did that for season three and made it all the way through to the, um, to the last phone call with the producers and, and then just never heard, never heard back. And, um, and so I thought, well, yeah, okay, it was worth a shot. It didn't work out. No big deal. Yeah. And I, I really didn't think about it. Uh, too much more after that. I, I kept watching the show. You know, I was, I've al- I've always been a fan of the show, but um, didn't didn't really think much about it. And then uh, in October, I think it was of eighteen, or maybe a little before, before I got an email from one of the producers that I had talked to previously, and they said, "Are you still interested in coming on? We're starting to cast for season five. And so I said, "Hmm." All right, you know, and so I talked to my wife about it, and and um, and I, I went through the whole process again, and 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 this time they um, this time they asked me to forge a blade on camera. So the first time they didn't ask me to kind of prove anything, so to speak, but this time they asked me to make a video, a YouTube video uh, of me forging a blade, start to finish, and to send that in. And uh, I think because at the time I didn't have much of an online, I didn't have a big Instagram account. I didn't have an online portfolio. I didn't have a website going. Um, and so I think they, you know, they want to see that kind of stuff. And so uh, I went through that whole process and, and forged out a, forged out a big camp chopper out of a rasp. And, uh, and I sent that into them and, and uh, a week or two went by and they said, yeah, we want you on the show. And so that's, that's kind of how the, the application process goes is, you yeah. know, you, you go through all that and then they basically give you a yes or no. And then, uh, and then you kind of sit on your hands and wait for them to tell you when you're going to come on. All right. So, so, so what, what happens next? You fly there or, uh, and you like yeah, stay so, in a hotel? Yeah. So next after, after you, after you get the, uh, the word that you're going to kind of be on the show, they, then they, then they give you a date range. They say, okay, we're going to try to, we're going to try to fit you into a window between, you know, um, January and, um, and May, which is a real big wide time <laughs> frame. And they say, you know, we're, we're not sure where you're going to fit in yet. We're not sure we're going to, where we're going to plug you in, but be ready to go. And we're going to try to give you like two weeks notice, 
you know, and so you kind of sit there and wait. And then, uh, and so then you get a call and they fly you up to Connecticut and uh, where the show is filmed and they put you up in a hotel, pay for your food. And, uh, and uh, yeah, they do a good job of treating you, treating you well. They did, at least they did when I was there. And um, you're, you're in a hotel and it's, you know, it's not hard to spot other bladesmiths in a hotel really. And yeah. uh, because when you get there, you don't know anybody <laughs> that's on the episode with you. You just kind of have this vague idea that, hey, there's there's three other guys in this hotel that, that are also <laughs> going to be on the show. And so you're kind of looking at everybody. And and so I, we kind of figured out pretty quickly who who we were. And uh, we met there in the hotel and talked for a little bit. And then uh, that's a Sunday night. You get there on a Sunday. And um and so then we uh, they send a van on Monday morning to the hotel, and there's a there was a there was a girl, and her her unofficial title was contestant wrangler, and uh, <laughs> it's her job to basically make sure you're where you're supposed to be at all times for the show because, uh, well, it's just like doing this podcast. You know, people have to be, you know, people have to be where they're supposed to be at the right time, or it doesn't happen, and so. Uh, this girl's job was to come pick us up from the hotel every day, make sure we're at the studio at the right time, and then make sure that when we're at the studio, we don't wander around in places we're supposed not supposed to be. So, you know, they come and pick you up Monday morning, carry you to the studio, and they uh, introduce you. Uh, they talk to you for a little bit, and they mic you up. They put a mic on you right up, right away. And, uh, and uh, then after that, we did a short studio tour where we walked around the studio and looked at all the different tools and they did a tool safety tour where they basically introduce you to all the different tools on the shop floor. And, and if you've never run a power hammer, they give you a little lesson. You know, if you've never run a hydraulic awesome. press, they give you a little, you know, a safety lesson. They don't want anybody going in there. That's, that's never, awesome. never worked on it. And so they give you a safety lesson. They gave us a piece of, uh, I think it was a piece of mild steel pipe. And uh, like a pretty soft piece of pipe, and they let us beat the heck out of that under the power hammer for a little bit, and then uh, let us play with it on the press. And they talk a lot about safety in that first meeting. And then you know, once you go through all that, then then there's a lot of uh, pre-interviews where you sit in a room that kind of looks like the forge, and they start asking you questions about your background, you know, what you're interested about. They they film you forever, and you know they they put about thirty seconds worth of that <laughs> on the show. So it's a lot get, of hurry up and hurry up and wait that first yeah. day for sure. But I mean, uh, for like what, for for us when we're watching, it's like everything happens in one day, and you're like three hours and three hours again, and then the the you know how how does that play out? Like uh, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I think technically I'm still under a non-disclosure agreement, but I don't think there's anything that I'm going to talk about that's not already been talked about before by other people. So, um, but yeah, the w what you see on that show is what you get. Uh, there's not a lot of fake. I mean, uh, there's no fakery. I, I was about to say there's not a lot of fakery, but there, there's no fakery that that I know of, other than the fact that it doesn't all happen in one six-hour time frame. No, you know, I can because you've that. got. Yeah, I mean, and I think anybody that watches the show or any anybody that knows anything about knife making understands well. You got to temper the blade, and that takes a while. And yeah. and so you know, the first day, like I said, you arrive Sunday night, and you don't finish. You don't finish uh, until Friday. 
And so day one is round one. And so day one consists of getting there, doing your pre-day safety, your pre-interviews. Um, and then and then they, they march you back down this long hallway, the, the hallway, the walk of shame hallway, you know. Yeah. They, they walk you down that hallway and they line you up. And, and uh, by this time, you know, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And what you're waiting on is for lighting and for the judges to get, you know, all their their makeup and their their mics all set and um and they sit you in this back hallway and then all of a sudden it's like it's go time you know and and um and and you hear Will do his intro and you're told hey you're going to walk into your anvil and you're going to stand on this tape mark and then and then you know you you kind of walk in and and it's it's happening you know it's almost like whoa I I needed a minute you know but um yeah it, it kind of starts <laughs> And then once you get in there and and that that clock is I mean that that camera's rolling, uh, they don't really slow down very much and, and certainly not after the the timer goes. And so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of retakes that happen as far as you know will might mess up a line or or somebody and or he needs to redo a line and so they'll stop. And he'll re-say that whole thing again, and then they'll pan the cameras back and forth to get shots of you standing at the anvil and whatnot. But when Will says, and your time starts now, and that clock goes, that's it, man. That clock's going. Yeah. There's no there's no time out. There's no let's let's fake this uh, <laughs> you know, this time thing. That time is uh, that clock is a real force, you know, and it's it's a lot of stress. And and uh and and once that clock starts, you You've got twenty or thirty people standing around in the in the studio that are that are there for whatever reason, sound, safety, lighting, producers, all these people that are standing around, they're watching you. You've got each Smith has a at least one camera guy following him around. And then you've got other lighting and sound guys walking around. And you don't see any of that on the show. So there's a lot of activity in that room while you're trying to make a knife, you know, and you're trying to do it under this time frame, but that that three hour time window on day one is straight up legitimate. What you see is what you get. And uh so, and then when that time stops, you know, it's sometime in the afternoon. When that time stops, um you put your knives down, they finish filming that stuff, and then someone comes by and, and gets your knife and moves it. You don't get to you don't get to handle it. You don't you know, they're very serious <laughs> about the about the um the fairness and all that and um and so after that round one forging session is done then you go into more interviews where you basically talk about what you did and yeah. you talk about it in the present tense and so that yeah, takes yeah like, hours. yeah like they they cut it in uh, while you're forging in the tv right. program yeah Yeah. And so, you know, while you're, while you're, while you're working in that three hours, there's, there's a camera guy following you and there's a producer guy walking around with a notepad and he's watching what you're doing and he's making notes. And later in the day, <laughs> after you're all done, he pulls that notepad out and he goes, okay, um, when you first started, you, you dropped your knife on the floor. Let's talk about that for a minute. What was going through your head? And so then you, you talk about it. And you have to talk about it in present tense, and that takes a little while yeah. to get used to talking like that. And then, and they record all that. And so, by the time you finish all that, day one is, you know, it's late. You've you've uh, 
you've eaten a quick lunch during the day and it's it's been a long day you're tired you're sweaty and and so then you know at the end of the day they they kind of look at you see what you look like and you take your dirty clothes off and you you go to the hotel in a clean set of clothes and then when you come back the next morning for round 2 the first thing they do is put you back in your dirty clothes and uh <laughs> you know if you had a if you had a, a soot smudge on your face you know they're going to make it look yeah, okay. They make it look like, you know, it's the same day. And so they try, you know, it's Movie not like magic. a lot of makeup. But yeah, because they, they do want it to appear as if it all happens back to back. But there's just no way no. to do that with all the stuff that has to happen. I mean, you know how, how much time it takes to, uh, you know, to edit a podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's uh, for us who are working with blacksmithing in a, in one way or no, or another we understand that that cannot happen in one day but i mean like a lot of uh, you know reality shows on tv they want to like Uh, make it look uh, perhaps make it look more tougher than it is but i mean it's a really tough challenge already so i mean yeah, imagining that in one day is like insane <laughs> my, oh yeah in, in yeah my <clears throat> and a lot of people you know when they're getting ready to go on the show they do that you know they'll do a six hour marathon and they'll say you know i'm gonna forge this blade in three hours i'm gonna flash temper it with a torch and then i'm gonna go right into handle making And, uh, you know, I, I did that uh, myself before I went on the show just to kind of see what it was like. And, that you know, that people don't do that very often. You know, when I'm making a knife, we were talking, you know, it's like a, a week or two of, you know, a few hours here and there working on the knife. Yeah. And it's not all at one time. And and uh, so, you know, I don't know that they're really concerned, to be honest with you, with with making with with the idea that people may or may not think that it all happens in one day, you know, yeah. but, um, but yeah, you know, so day two, you know, you come back and, and the first thing they do is an elimination. And so you don't know who's going home from round one. Oh, until that second you don't. Day. Oh, right. that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <Jesus. laughs> so, yeah. Then, yeah. Cause the first thing they do after round one is you stand there in front of the judges and they eliminate one person. You know, and and so and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of sad because even though you haven't been together that long, there's already I mean, you, you form a bond with these guys pretty quick. Not only do you all share, you know, a a similar interest, but you're going through a similar a shared experience. And anytime you do, you know, a shared experience like that with with other people, you know, you, you bond with them pretty quick and you become friends and. And really, I mean, to be honest, you know, nobody wants to see anybody go home, on, you know, in, in round one. And so, you know, that day two is kind of like, oh, man, we're all riding together to the show and one of us is not going on, you know. But and, and I think oh. on, on, on our episode, we, we really didn't we really didn't know who that was going to be, you know, and uh, I, I woke up. I woke up at like four in the morning in the hotel and I was just worried out of my mind that I had blown a parameter in round one. You know, they gave us um, they gave us length parameters for the big friction folders that we had to make. And I was convinced that I was short. And um, and and because I had I had put some marks on my anvil for length. And I and I. I remember marking and 
measuring the length of my blade from the uh, pivot hole to the point that I didn't remember checking my overall length. And there was an overall length parameter of like 22 inches. And I was, I was thinking that I was either over with the oh. overall or under on the blade. And I could, I, so I woke up and I was like, man, I think I blew a parameter. And so when we got there on the second day, none of us really knew. And actually, I was like, man, I, I guess I'm going to go home. And I was just terrified that I was going to go home for, uh, for a parameter. Wow. And I mean, that sucked. And I mean the, the horror of knowing, like, I don't know how, how you guys see it, who, who has been on, but I can imagine, like, going out in the first, uh, first round, it doesn't look very good, if you know what I mean. I mean, I can understand who, who knows what they're going through, that that doesn't determine who you are as a blacksmith. But I mean, other people that aren't blacksmiths might, you know, judge you from that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've watched the show for long, you've seen some really, really phenomenal guys go home in round one. I mean, some of the best, some of the best bladesmiths in the in the uh, in in the country that have been on the show. There's a few of those guys who have gone home in round one, and and like you said, I think to anybody that spent any time in the shop making. You, you just understand that things go south in a hurry sometimes, and yeah. and it's just the way it is. And and uh, but yeah, you you just I hate to see the people go with parameters, you know, because yeah, it's just kind of like sucks. oh man, you know. But they do, you know, at the, when they start the round one, they they tell you, you know, will will goes over the parameters, you know, and and then and then they and before before they actually start the round before the clock starts they kind of stop for a second and 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 make sure that everybody has heard the parameters clearly and maybe make sure that everybody understands and you 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 verbally say you know yes I've, i understand the parameters before you start i think they do that you know for liability reasons they don't want someone coming back and saying there was noise or something in the studio and i couldn't hear the parameters so they they make yeah. sure that everybody knows but but again yeah. As much as I hate to see someone go home from a parameter, man, I completely understand how it happens because there's just so much there's so much going on uh, in your head and and there's so much going on around you that that it you know it happens. Absolutely, yeah. I, I have to say, you know, I'm always interested in seeing what kind of curveballs they throw at you for um, your starter blades. You know, whether it be you know you have to make a canister Damascus or anything like that. Uh, and I think yours was the first time they'd ever done a mobile blade, you know, a friction folder. Um, I can't remember of seeing any other. Yeah, episodes. I think there there was there was one other episode that I know of before mine that okay. was a friction folder episode. But okay, I, mean, I, I missed that one. <laughs> I, I, it, it, no, it was it was a total curveball for us. You know, I mean, none none of us were expecting. You know, to make a big pocket knife, basically. And, well, yeah, and, I mean, they, they weren't so much friction folding pocket knives as friction folding machetes. I've made a couple of friction folders, you know, with a blade length about the length of my finger, and I thought those were pretty big. But then, you know, to see these, you know, seven to nine inch bladed <laughs> friction right, folders, right? They were they were crazy. Huge. And and w- when they first. Uh, when they first uh, told us what we were going to make, I mean, obviously, uh, I was like, oh, crud. Really? Because I had only made, I think I'd only made one friction folder. And it, yeah. had been, it had been 10 years or more since I'd made it. And like you said, it was oh. a little small, pinky-sized blade with the tip of an antler. 
you know, I took the tip yeah. of an antler and basically made a saw cut and then, you know, made a little small friction folder blade that fit in there. And, and yeah, and to, yeah the idea of this big 22 inch monster was, it was, <laughs> I was like, no, man, this is terrible. I, yeah. Because I've, I've obviously missed, missed that other episode, but when I heard Jay or Will say friction folders, I was just thinking the tests that they put the knives through so often. And I was just thinking, I was just thinking about what that was going to do to a friction folder. <laughs> right, right. So I, I love, I love looking at Forge and Fire as a bladesmith uh, because you know the when they bring forward those challenges, I like to look at it and kind of go, how would I approach that problem? You know, what what oh, would yeah, I do? Sure. I mean, I was, that a, I was an armchair quarterback. You know, <laughs> but it's I, and, and watching it, that show the, and, and and you know I, I'd I'd be in the living room watching the show with my kids and I'd be screaming at the TV you know why would you do that or no that's not the way you do it and you know after I went I was you know I, I don't do that yeah. anymore no no plan <laughs> no plan sort of fives first contact with the enemy as they say yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah so I, but it was always fun to kind of look at a problem and and you know think about how you would possibly approach it and i couldn't for the life of me think how i would approach that build <laughs> yeah <laughs> you did right. an amazing job uh, you know people i get i get people that ask uh people send me messages a lot uh who who are going on the show guys who have made it through the interview process uh they'll send me a, an email and they'll say something like um you know they'll hint around you know they'll, they'll kind of hint around you know like they don't, they don't tell me, I found out later that they were going on the show. They don't tell me, Hey, I'm going on the show, but get these <laughs> questions are like, Hey, if you were going to go on the show again, how would you train? Or, or if you were going to, you know, b- before you went on the show, what, what, what did you do to prepare? And I'm thinking, okay, this guy's going. You know? <laughs> and, and so, you know, because of the non-disclosure agreement, he can't say it. I can't really say it, you know, but I kind of, I kind of understand what's going on. And I, I, I tell I tell everybody the same thing, you know, focus on your, as much as you can, um, focus on troubleshooting ability, which is really, it's a hard thing to teach. You know, I don't know how you go out in the shop and really troubleshoot or, 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 or train yourself to be a troubleshooter. But, you know, I think that's one of the biggest skills that gets people by in that show. It's, I mean, it's you know, a lot of times it's not their bladesmithing finesse that gets them through it's it's their ability to overcome some failure that they encounter yeah absolutely i mean you see that on the show itself you can see when people run into those kind of game ending troubles and they kind of flip it around and, and make a make a uh, silk purse out of a sow's ear it's great right yeah that's my favorite <laughs> part of the show really i mean my favorite part is seeing well, two, two, two things are my favorite part of the show one seeing how people overcome challenges and failures and then two uh, getting to see other guys' home shops, you know. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. really cool. <laughs> so, so I have uh, two questions. Uh, the first one, which is uh, like a must, if you're on if you're on our show, you'll get this this question, and that's the most important question of the podcast. What kind of anvil do you have? Oh well, yeah. What kind of anvil do I have? Um, well, I'm kind of a. I have a problem. Um, what? Yeah, I have a problem. Uh, Hi, my name is Derek, and I'm an anvil addict. Um, <laughs> welcome, yeah. welcome hello, to the club, hello, Derek. Dan. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I have a problem. You know, I living living here in the states. You know, we 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 have a good bit of of anvil availability 
yeah. there's well, a long history here with blacksmithing and and so as much as people talk about how hard it is to find anvils if you look they're out there and um and so my my main anvil is a colswa b37 sweden yes man it's awesome i love it it's my <laughs> it's my third swedish anvil that i've had and it's my second colswa awesome. and i love it it's it's yeah. it's amazing it's a 222 pound double horn um it's it's great i absolutely mm-hmm. love it once mm-hmm. i once i get once i've gotten used to having a double horn like that you know it's it's hard to go back to a london pattern um, i i desperately want a double horn anvil I, i'm you know my london pattern's great but yeah the double horn yeah there's just so many places where you can get into small areas with that flat tapered horn absolutely you know, that it's just it's it's really nice yeah i'm really uh really thankful to have gotten that one and then I, i've got a few other anvils but that's my main that's my main anvil yeah i understand very cool that's why it's like awesome stuff i really really so really are they are they easy to find in sweden because uh, that's where they're from or yeah well you can buy them of I, I, well i shouldn't say because i was in on their website for like a, a year ago and what and looked so you can buy them new from them but uh, for, I've heard some rumors that they they're not no longer in business. So if that's the case, you can no longer do that. But there's like a ton of them out on the black market or black market. What should I say? You know the the trade the secondary market, market. Uh, yeah, secondary yeah. market, yeah. Um, so so you can find them, but but there I mean Swedish anvils. There are a lot of lot of good Swedish anvils that doesn't have to be Kolsva necessarily. You like have Söderfors, for example. Which is also like one of the titans, and, right, uh, right? And I and I know uh, I don't have a Söderfors, but I've been working on a Söderfors when I was in my old shop, which I rented. They had a Söderfors, and uh, now I have a new hub, uh, which is also is a quality Swedish anvil from uh, early 1900s. No, you don't say that in English. Uh, from the 1920s or something like that. Oh. So, so they're they're pretty available if you look for them, and if you really open your eyes, you can see them standing here and there. So you just have to. Ask. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think everybody's heard the phrase, or, or I've heard it a lot here that you know when when the blacksmith is ready, the anvil will find him. You know? And and <laughs> I tell guys that it was like you know if that. you if you look, they're out there, and just ask everybody you know, you'll you'll find one eventually. We have discussed on the show uh, previously that, um, you know, when, when you become a blacksmith, the anvils just kind of pop up out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, although although yeah. I have to say, being be, living in Australia has made that little less common. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Uh, most, well, I mean, it's not true. There is quite a few anvils in Australia um, because, you know, we did have quite a booming mining industry and rail and all that kind of stuff. So... There were quite a few uh, blacksmithing kind of warehouses and stuff everywhere, but now everyone uses them as garden ornaments, and no one wants to let let them go. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I know of at least I know of at least four in in Perth that um, are you know in that two hundred to three hundred pound range, just sitting rusting in someone's garden, but they refuse to let it go. Oh, man. <laughs> So I was the the second question that I was gonna ask you was uh, like for the since you were a finalist and a, a, a later a champion like 
Is there any special rules when you're home for doing the like big project when for those five days? How how does that work? Oh, for the uh, for the round three when they come to your house. Yeah. Um, special rules. I mean, you know, most guys you sleep are in your house? five days. Uh, no, actually, they uh, they show up and then they have a hotel room and uh, and a, I think they were in a van, a rented van. <clears throat> but it's um it's usually just two people, I think. And, uh, you know, kind of a camera operator and a field producer kind of person. And, you know, they show up and they kind of go over the rules for the home forge portion. And uh, again, they they I was really impressed with the fact that they took uh, fairness really seriously. You know, they um, they want to make sure that both of the finalists are given the same amount of time and that you don't have one finalist like, you know, staying up at night. And getting basically <laughs> double the time because they don't sleep for four or five days, you know. Um, mm. And so what they do is they start a timer uh, in your home shop, just the way they do um, on on the set. You know, you you get up in the morning, you go out to your workshop. They're they, they're they're pretty early, and uh, they meet you out there. You do a a pre day interview where they talk about you know you talk about what your plan is for the day, what you want to work on, what you think you want to get done. <laughs> And uh, and then they you know they pretty much say you know you've got you they'll either you'll either have eight hours or ten hours for that day, and they'll say okay you know you've got you got ten hours tell us when you're ready to start, and uh, and so when you say I'm ready they they start a, a stopwatch and and you get I think you get an hour break that you can spread out throughout the day however you need to, and uh, where they'll stop the timer. And then they'll start the timer when you're ready to go back to it. And then at the end of the day, when you're when your ten hours is up, you know they stop the time timer, and it's kind of like, hey, put your tools down, stop, you know, whatever you're doing, and uh, and they they look at what you've done for the day, and and they uh, they watch you lock your shop up, and uh, and then when they come back the next morning, you know they kind of look at what you've got, you know, make sure you're not. Let's <laughs> make it out. Doing it, yes, and make sure you're not out there polishing the sword all night or something, you know, and getting getting extra time. So, it was very apparent to me that they were concerned that uh, that both of the finalists are under the same constraint, and so that was absolutely. that was you know it was really while it was stressful, it was encouraging at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. But as far as special rules for the home, uh, that that was really kind of it. You know, they. They they generally supply you with some of the material, and uh, but you don't have to use what they supply. You know, for me, they gave me a bar of fifty one sixty for the sword, and I wound up using it. I didn't use yep. all of it. It was like a quarter inch thick by two inch wide, thirty six inch bar of steel. <laughs> a little bit more than you, know? you need for a small sword. Yeah, yeah. so I like I wound up, I like cut like a third of it off and <laughs> use that, and so um, I've actually got another small sword blade that I forged out from that same bar. Yeah. I saw that on your Instagram actually. Yeah, Um, I I still haven't finished it, but I'll get there someday. I was going to ask that because I was was like, I love small swords. Um, Yeah. I I want, you know, I want to make another one and I want to make it just like the one I made on the show uh, with the wrought iron and all that. So um, I did, um, I did have it to the side. Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, was, I did want to ask, because, um, you know, one of the things I notice uh, in a lot of Fortune Fire episodes is there tends to be quite a juxtaposition between the two home shops. Like, a lot of the time you'll have, like, 
a professional blacksmith who's got, you know, power hammers and presses and all that kind of stuff. And the other guy gets sent home and he's got, you know, a charcoal forge made out of a satellite dish yeah. and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and a piece of railroad track to hammer on, like Rio yeah. Lim, who, uh, who yeah. won. And, he, and he'll win, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. And, and it almost always comes down to the guy who chooses the simple build over the guy who goes too complex. And uh, I think we saw that in your episode as well. Not that you had like the, the lack of machine of, of tooling, because you actually had you know adequate tooling uh, in comparison to uh, the other smith. But um, he obviously went for the, the Damascus blade and all that kind of stuff and, and tried to go for the show, whereas you went straight for the go. You went straight for the 5160, you know, mono steel blade and that kind of won out in the end and i I think it always surprises me when people decide to take that like extra leap um (laughs) you know and and go for the show over the go given the tests that they're required to complete Um, yeah you know your your main goal when you go on forged in fire or your main goal should be your, your main goal is to accomplish the parameters and and get through that round. And so, you know, for me in round one, my main goal was forge a functional blade and get that done. Don't worry too much about uh, aesthetics until you get that main goal accomplished. And so in round three, my main goal was make a functional sword. You know, it wasn't so much make the most beautiful sword that I can make because, you know, you've got limited time and you know your your goal is to win and so yeah i didn't want to i didn't want a chance messing around with damascus absolutely uh, i mean in a sword that i figured they were going to do some kind of crazy <laughs> bend test i mean it's a small sword it's it's yeah. it's light i just i just i just had a feeling that they were going to do some crazy uh flexible you know flexibility test and you know i just i didn't want to i didn't want to mess with that and so from the oh, yeah. get go, when they said when they said they were providing fifty one sixty for the blade, I was like, okay, well that's that's what <laughs> I'm going to use because that's that's spring steel. It's what it's made to do. Absolutely, actually, it's funny the the small sword. One of the one of the parts of history of the small sword is a lot of uh, sword sellers used to carry uh, used to have a a block of wood nailed to their wall that was specifically there for you to pull a you know like take a small sword off the shelf. And bend it against the wall, yeah. Um, and 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 have it spring back to true to to show how good the temper was, you know. So that was quite common that you know you'd go into a, a small sword or a, sh- a sword seller, uh, sword stall, and they would have that block of wood for you to bend the sword on just in case it was going to snap on you. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about the uh, the small sword, I don't know if they showed it in the thing. I'm trying to think back. Did you use a heat treating oven? Do you have a heat treating oven for that side of, of material? Yeah, I did. Well, here's here's what I did. So, um, you know, when 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 most people go on the show, they they have well, when it when I don't know anybody that knows what they're going to do in round three. So that goes back to the whole fairness. And I'll yeah. say up front, nobody has any clue what they're doing in round one, and nobody has any clue what they're doing in round three until they're showed what they're doing on the, on the show. And so it's, you know, they want that surprise element. So, so I kind of knew that I was going to need some way to, to heat a long piece of steel before I went. So before I went, I built a three burner 
uh, propane forge, but I did not have a tempering device ready. And so when I left the show, when we flew back, when we left New York and I knew they were coming to the show, um, I started thinking, how am I going to temper this sword? And so my first idea was to do an oil bath. You know, and uh, if you've watched the show, you've seen a couple of guys do oil bath tempers where they basically have like a turkey fryer yeah, and a big pipe. And um, anyway, one of the previous contestants before me tried that and and nearly burned his shop down. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. I saw that. Yeah, it was it was actually it was um, it was really pretty bad. And so um, I I didn't for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I didn't want to fool with that. And so. I actually, um, actually, I talked to a friend. I didn't tell him why. I didn't tell him what I was talking about. I was just like, "Hey, you know, if if you if you're if you're working on a sword and you don't have a tempering oven, what would you do?" You know, and I didn't I didn't tell him I was on the show or anything. We were just talking, you know, offline, you know, like we do. This is a guy that I've talked to about tool making and other stuff, and he said, "You know, well, have you ever seen Salem Straub?" Uh, use his double tempering oven. And I was like, no, I haven't. And so I went and looked in Salem. Uh, online, if you search for it online, the, Salem has some details about a, uh, he took two, I think they were two ovens for an RV, for like a, a camping uh, RV. And he took these two ovens and shoved them together and, <laughs> and made a tempering oven. And so I did the same thing with toaster ovens. I ran to Walmart which is you know, here in the States, you know, Walmart's a big box store. Yep. And I bought three $20 toaster ovens and I took a hole saw and I cut a hole <laughs> through all the toaster ovens and shoved a uh, kale wool between the toaster ovens to make a tube. Yep. And then I, I put cheap oven thermometers in each one of the toaster ovens to make sure they were all at the same temperature. And so then cool. I, I screwed those all down to a big piece of uh, tin, <laughs> and and so it, it was like you know each one of the toaster ovens is like ten inches or eleven inches wide, you know, and and so Red, there you go. Redneck so, ingenuity, gotta love it. You bet, you bet, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I call it the ghetto temp master three three k, and it was funny. It worked it, great. It's funny because, um, you know, Alex Steele has used exactly the same idea. Um, and, you know, for... I, to- I sent Will Stelter a message the day they did that. I said, I said, I was like, I was kind of mad. I was like, <laughs> you're not the first one to do this. And they didn't show it. And they didn't show it on my show, you know, and I was I was so mad. I was so mad. That I think I think the reason aired, that there was nothing about the ghetto temp master 3K on there. I think the reason for it is because they're like, please yeah, do the, not do this at home. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And no, that, that it worked really well. I came, I came straight out of the quench. Uh, I did have to straighten just a little bit. They didn't show any of that either. But I took two pieces it. of two pieces of angle iron and tack welded them to my uh, post vise, and I straightened the sword in that. And then I went straight into the big uh, triple toaster oven. And what I did was. Uh, about every 20 minutes, I would pull the sword out about three or four inches, and then I'd turn it and then push it back in every other 20 minutes or so to to compensate for those areas between the ovens. 
where yeah, it right. might be a little cooler. And so I just kept moving the sword back and forth for the two hour uh, tempering cycle. And uh, that's a good way to do it. Still works. Yeah, I've got I've got those toaster ovens uh, still sitting out in the shop. <laughs> hey, man, if it works, it works. I've always said yeah. that in my workshop. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we had some plans to talk about the tools on this episode, but I think uh, we might just have to have you on another time as well, Derek, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Tools, yeah, yeah that just, just briefly, you know, that's, that's one of my great uh, passions in bladesmithing and blacksmithing. I think I spend just as much time making tooling and, and making tools for other people as I do anything else and get just as much enjoyment out of it. Yeah. I've been looking at your Instagram while we've been, uh, while we've been talking and, um, I, I really love some of the hammers that you've been making. Um, yeah, yeah I'm a, I'm a big hammer nerd. I, I love hammers. Um, oh man, yeah. man, me too. There's, there's <laughs> as, something as you've about probably making seen in my face, those. in my Instagram feed. <laughs> yeah. Once you, once you start making a handle tool, like a hammer or an ax, you know, and you know, somebody else is going to use that to make other things. Yep. There's just an, there's an there's an addictive nature to that part of the craft that's that's kind of it's kind of hard to get out of once you start doing it you know it's a rabbit hole. Absolutely, but yeah, no, your hammers are absolutely beautiful. So you know, um, well, thank you, thank you very much. Do you do you use your dog heads quite often? I'm I'm a big dog head fan, so <laughs> you know, I, I I bought a dog's head from another hammer maker, a guy named Jeff McCrady. Yep, and uh, I love it. It's a beautiful hammer, um, but I don't use it. And, uh. and it's just, it's really because I just haven't spent a lot of time trying to use it. Uh, yeah. I've used, I've used cross pins and round rounding hammers pretty much for most of my forging. And I've just gotten so used to those that, that I haven't taken the time to become proficient with the dog's head. Oh yeah. And, and a lot of smiths are like that. Uh, Walter Sorrells, who's quite a, a famous uh, YouTube blacksmith, bladesmith. Um, has uh, said many times because he specializes in making katanas. People have commented that he doesn't use Japanese uh, hammers, and he simply commented that he's used club hammers and um, and rounding hammers and stuff like that for so long that he he's doesn't feel comfortable when he moves to a dog yeah, set because they yeah, are so yeah. different in the hand. They are they are a very different tool. I love the way they look, you know, and I mean, yeah. you, you yeah, made a beautiful awesome. one the other day. Uh, the The chamfering oh, you, you put on the back and the and the tapers in the front, I, I, it was awesome. Great, great hammer. Thank you. So, guys, um, uh, we have to. Uh, we're coming up on the hour mark, and I believe uh, we, we have a viewer question. Yeah, we do have uh, from Bo Smith. Uh, he says this: "Hi, guys." Loving the Forgecast. Thanks for putting it out there. It's a great help for a beginner such as myself and just a good listening. I'm wondering if you could possibly shed some light on the mystical world of patinas and metal finishes. It's a subject that I can't seem to find a lot of information on. I hear that excellent patinas can be achieved with graphite, etc. But so far I've just been using the old linseed oil and beeswax method but my pieces often lightly rust after a time. Can you help out with this? Shears bow. So, guys, do you have any um, idea, Derek? Do you I'm not sure. I'm not not sure if he's talking about patinas. I mean, you you wouldn't patina with with linseed oil because patina is the buildup of oxides on the surface of a piece of steel. 
uh, in the world of bladesmithing, as I'm sure Derek knows as well, um, there are stuff like, like mustard patinas, where you use mustard mm-hmm. to patinate a blade. Um, I've used uh, vinegar to patina blades. Uh, it, traditionally, actually, in the old days, when um, people used to buy carbon steel pocket knives, which I collect a lot of old school pocket knives, um, they were patinated with apples or um, potatoes. You'd stick the blade in a potato for a, for yeah, a, a just free out- some kind of acid just to eat it eat it just a little bit to give it that used look and that's it. Um, so yeah, a, a patina is when when I think of patina, I think of you're trying to age the the blade instantly yeah. almost. And so, like you said, vinegar, mustard, you know, all those things. But it sounds almost like he's talking about a like a blacksmith finish. Yeah, yeah but it's protecting. Which is a yeah different. It's a different kind of world altogether. But linseed um, oil as as beeswax it, is a pretty decent blacksmith's finish. It's not right. super durable. Um, you know, like if you're you using have- something quite a bit, it's going to wear off uh, quite easily. Uh, if you try, if you're making like sculptural stuff, I know that uh, Roy Adams from Christ Centered Ironworks recommends uh, a clear coat epoxy. Um, mm-hmm. or, or like a spray on a lacquer, uh, for, for like, uh, for sculptural stuff. Uh, but for using stuff like, you know, axes and stuff like that, I would recommend the linseed oil and beeswax. And obviously in use, it's going to get scuffed up and all that's going to get rubbed off and you just have to put on a new coat. Yep. Yeah. And, but there is also like, uh, if you watch, for example, you you could use uh, gun blue, I think is uh, one way you could get a f- you know, another finish to your steel. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Gunblue is good. Darkening the steel a little bit. So, um, and also if you watch Kyle Royer's latest, uh, when he finished the sword there, when he, um, he put his fittings and the pommel in, I don't know what it was. Salt, really. It's a salt, salt bluing. It's a hot blue. Um, oh. yeah, it's, 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 a yeah, hot that's what blue. like professional gunsmiths use to blue their yeah, guns. He, they do a hot he, blue rather than a cold blue. Yeah, he uses a hot salt blue, which he actually buys from brown elves. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a it's, lot it's, deeper, richer blue with it, I think. Oh man, you get some. You you can get some beautiful mirror black finishes with uh, with proper gun bluing. But yeah, I mean, so, um, I, I'm, he mentioned graphite. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone either using graphite to protect forge finishes or to patinate steel. I don't think graphite would actually have any effect on the steel itself. I mean, if you mix it in with a paste wax, I suppose it would darken the surface of a mm-hmm. material, but then it would just make it like every time you touched that piece, you'd have black fingers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that um, the, the old traditional of linseed oil and beeswax, I use uh, for a lot of my forge finishes, finished stuff that I want to keep uh, relatively clean. I use Renaissance wax. Um, yeah. The, paste the reason wax. That, yeah. Yeah, the reason that linseed oil and, and beeswax and uh, carnauba wax and stuff like that aren't always great for steel is because they all have a slight acidic content, whereas Renaissance wax is a chemically inert mineral-based wax. So mm. it's really good protect- for protecting stuff. They use it for protecting steel in uh, museums, like all the old... Um, yeah, all the old ironwork from the medieval days is all protected by Renaissance wax. Mm. But so, it's expensive. Uh, <laughs> I hope that's a good enough answer, Bo. And if you have any more questions, just uh, feel free to ask them uh, anytime. So, um, 
uh, we are going to round this up. Uh, so where can, if you want to buy a hammer from Derek, where do you like go to do that? Well, I've got a website and it's just uh, DerekMelton.com. And uh, then pretty much my main uh, platform is uh, Instagram. I do have a YouTube channel, but I just don't have a lot of content out there either. But um, yeah, it's just my name, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N. Um, and I'm, yeah. the, I'm, the, I'm the Christian bladesmith that's not a pastor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely check his Instagram out, even if you're not going to buy something from him. He does some amazing work, and he takes some really good photos too. Um, Thanks. I'm, I I'm, I'm very upset and I, I have to apologize to Derek for, for not knowing who he was until we had him on the show. Oh man, that's cool. No, no worries. But, but now I'm an, an ardent follower. I love it. Yeah. What this show do, does to the community, right? So, um, <laughs> so if you want to ask a question to us in the Forgecast, you can send an email or suggest a, a, a guest to us or whatever. You can send an email at, to ask.forgecast at gmail.com or you can find us on our Instagram, which is the.forgecast, uh, where you can see all the shows and links and all those stuff. And you can also uh, write to a question there if you want to. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Instagram as well at Nils Ogren or Nils Ögren, depending on what kind of letters you have on your keyboard. And uh, you can also find me on YouTube. But as Derek said, I'm not much of a content provider on YouTube. Sorry. And where can you find Sam? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Etsy. Uh, I do upload every week on Wednesdays on YouTube. And I have to do a live stream every Saturday uh, in the morning. Awesome. Well, that's Australian time. <laughs> Nine o'clock Australian. I <laughs> am. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Derek. It, it was truly a pleasure. Oh, you bet. Yeah, I had a blast. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming, and mate. It was awesome. We'll see you guys listening next week. Have a great week. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, guys.